I said, on the move! Long live revolution. Long live John Africa. Move tells the history of their organization as originating with just one man, a wise black man with a third grade education and a deep connection to mama nature, their God. Wisdom surpasses any man's walk on the face of this earth. This is Laverne Sims Africa, Move member and biological sister of John Africa. He's got all answers for everything. Every question you could ask, he got the answer for it. 42-year-old John Africa, legal name Vincent Leaphart, started Move with a 25-year-old guy who was his West Philadelphia neighbor. His name was Donald Glassy, and he was white. Donald Glassy was born in Brooklyn, New York in 1946, and then later grew up in the northern New Jersey suburb of Westfield. Don attended Michigan State University from 1964 to 1968 and was a member of the fraternity Delta Tau Delta and graduated with a sociology degree. In 1968, he began his graduate studies at the University of Pennsylvania. After completing his thesis on the participation of the poor in decision-making in public housing projects, Don was awarded a master's degree in social work. In my very early research into MOVE, I was able to locate and speak to Donald Glassy. In our brief phone conversation, he told me that he thought Vincent Leapart's ideas about returning society to a lifestyle that was back in balance with the natural world was a good idea, but that that ideology and the group evolved into something darker more insidious, a desire for revolution by means of violence. We agreed to a date to record an interview. When I called to follow up, my message was returned by Donald's wife, saying that her husband was in hospice care for cancer and unable to speak because he was in and out of consciousness. This is an interview I conducted with Donald Glassy's wife three years ago in October 2019, which was almost two years before launching the podcast. I'm not going to mention her name in order to protect her privacy. How did you and Don meet? Mutual friend of ours introduced us. How long into dating Don did he tell you about his past and move? That was funny because he didn't tell me. They had been dating for over a year when a friend of hers Googles Don's name and then comes to her saying, You know who you're dating? She's very shocked about Don's move past. So she confronts him and he apologizes profusely and just says that he was embarrassed to tell her. Intended to tell you, I meant to tell you, but I scared to tell me. Don's third wife did not know him when he was in MOVE, and she only knows what Don told her. So she suggests that I speak with the first of Don's three legal wives and graciously offers to connect us. My name is Joanne. I am Don Glassy's first wife. Have you ever been interviewed about either Donald Glassy or MOVE? No, never. Were you ever interviewed by any authorities with regard to MOVE in any criminal cases? Not that I remember. Okay. How long were you and Don married? Five years. Okay. But it was off and on. And usually our arguments usually had to do with MOVE. Before MOVE was calling itself MOVE, Vincent and Don had given their group two other names, American Christian Movement for Life and the Community Action Movement. I first met Don in November of 72. I was taking a class at community college, a night class at community college in Philadelphia, and Don Glassy was my teacher. 
I remember going to class and after class going back to a house that I shared with three other girls and walking in the door and saying, you should see my psych teacher. He's really cute. I'm going to go out with him before the semester's over. (laughs) (laughs) Just so happened we got married before the semester was over. It was a very quick romance. (laughs) I was 24 and Don was 26. He was living in Palton and he was teaching a psych course at community college, but he really wasn't teaching a psych course. He was teaching this philosophy that I later learned was the move philosophy. I remember going to his apartment and I met this guy, Vince, who was an older black man. Vince is Vincent Leapart. And he told me that it was Vince's philosophy. And because Vince was illiterate, he was writing down his thoughts, this way of life for him. And that's how, I guess, the book started. Moves Guidelines, their Bible of sorts, was called The Book, because Glassy's original plan was to actually publish a book about Vincent's ideas. That never happened. The Powelton Village neighbors and Joanne knew him as the guy with lots of stray dogs who did odd jobs. I know he was a handyman, you know, around Powelton. He used to fix things and he didn't read or write. You know, he, he was like a third or fourth grade dropout or something. And when you spoke to him, I mean, he, he he didn't come across as being stupid. But like I said, you know, he was always around very educated people and they would talk. I don't think he was a stupid man by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, but I think, you know, he, he picked up, a, you know, a thought from this person and this philosophy and just talking and kind of picked and chose what he liked and what he didn't like and put them together and interwove things and, and formed this philosophy that he, he you know, wanted to teach. And, and in the beginning, it was more of a back-to-nature type of hippie loved thing. You know, every, a lot of people were spouting that. Palatine Village was a very diverse neighborhood of anti-Vietnam war activists, academics, and environmentalists. Earth Day was started in 1970 in Philadelphia by Powelton Village resident Ira Einhorn. It has been said that Ira and Vince were friendly, which, if true, is very interesting, considering that Vince went on to create a destructive cult and Ira Einhorn was convicted for murder. Don had told me he had become involved with Vince, I guess, at a community group or neighborhood group or something like that. And he was fascinated by Vince's philosophy because Don, at that time, he was searching. We're hippies, and hippies tended to do that, you know, search for things and questions, go against the establishment. And Don had just recently broken up a a few months before with a woman that he had been very involved with, and she had gotten pregnant and didn't want the baby, and he did. She had an abortion, and he was just very, very upset about all that. And I guess he was searching for answers or really down in the dumps. And all of a sudden, he met this man who had this philosophy that Don found very appealing. It was very simple to get back to nature, to live like each day at a time and live off of the land, kind of 
like go back in time, live almost like the pioneers did or whatever. But it was very contradictory in what he said. You know, you weren't supposed to have any type of electricity. You shouldn't eat meat. It was, you know, be a vegetarian, preferably raw food, accept everyone. Animals were just as important as people and you couldn't hurt any animals, even roaches, rats, mice, whatever, everything was living, you had to respect, which sounds real nice until you're living with roaches or mice, or I mean, I'm not living like that. <laughs> also, when Don and I met, Don did not have a phone, and I was staying at his place a lot in the beginning, and I said to him, I have to have a phone, because I need to be able to make calls or if my parents need to get in touch with me or whatever. And I got a phone. I had a phone put in at Don's apartment and I would come home from work and there would be Vince sitting there talking on the phone and he would talk on the phone for like hours. And that really annoyed me because I used to say to Don, I thought he didn't believe in phones, but he'll sit there in, in the apartment and talk on the phone for an hour. He's not paying the bill would annoy me like if you don't believe in phones then then don't use it and I would make dinner and I was a vegetarian so you know that wasn't an issue but he would eat and it, it seemed to me like he took he was always taking and what he was giving in return was this philosophy I didn't believe in his philosophy because anyone who tries to take you from your family the people who truly love you that's wrong and if you looked back years ago when the pioneers or whatever he was trying to get back to the family was the most important thing and they stayed together and they lived together and they worked the land together and they lived close you know I mean it just was such a contradiction to me so much of what he said that he was just not one of my favorite people do you recall when Vincent became John Africa uh, yes, because in the beginning it was supposed to be not just, not everybody's name was going to be African. It was whatever your nationality, your, your origin, you know, like Don was Irish, Don was going to be Don Ireland and Vince Africa. And, you know, if I had belonged, I would have been Joanne Italian or Italy, Joanne, you know, whatever your family origin was, that was going to be your, your last name. Who came up with that idea? I believe it was Vince. But that then, you know, kind of went by the wayside and everybody took the surname of Africa. So Don is unsuccessful in recruiting his new wife, Joanna, to move. But he does get his close friend, William Whitney Smith, who goes by Wit, and he becomes the third member of Move. The beginning, they were going to live kind of like a commune type of living. I worked at the school district. They had little children. Don was kind of taking care of the kids, teaching them. As a matter of fact, I had gotten some old desk, like surplus stuff from the school district I had gotten for them. And Don was going to teach the kids, like like homeschooling almost, like a one-room one schoolhouse type of thing. Joanne comes from a big Italian family. And so when she and Don get married, it's a big traditional event. 
She wears all white with a veil. Dawn is in a tuxedo. There's a four-piece band playing on a stage. There's rented tables with sparkly silver tablecloths and floral arrangements. Vincent Leaphart is not a guest at their wedding. The only move members present are Dawn, of course, and Whit Smith, along with his wife Vicky and their two young daughters. Whit and his wife were very close friends with Dawn and Joanne. They had bought a house up in Cheltenham. They would come to our place. We would go to theirs. I mean, they were friends. And Don got Whit involved with moves, and he really became very involved in it. He quit his job. He became more involved with move, blah, 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 and it also ruined his marriage. So while Whit's marriage is falling apart, newlyweds Don and Joanne are building their lives together. And his brother and sister-in-law moved in with us, a big old Victorian house. And one day I go to the bank for something and all the money's gone. Don had taken all the money we had gotten as, as wedding gifts and put a down payment on a house for Vince and the move people. He just went and did this without even asking me. That's the first time we broke up. That was not long after we got married in January, April, I moved down. Don Glassy and his friend Witt, who he got into MOVE, they're the ones who pulled together the down payment for 309 North 33rd, MOVE's first communal headquarters in West Philadelphia, Powelton Village. The owner was the seller and the mortgage company. Only Don is on the purchase agreement, so the owner has no clue about MOVE and has no clue that the group is supposed to be responsible for the monthly payments. Vincent and MOVE only make three payments totaling $315. The property is worth $6,800. Move never pays a cent more. Wanting more space? Move terrorizes and threatens the neighbors on the other half of the Twin Victorian until they move out and Move takes over that half. Not as tenants, not as owners. This was Vincent's scheme from the jump to get this whole building for his Move cult. Vince had successfully manipulated money out of Don and Wit and had gotten Don to choose Move over his wife, Joanne. So now, of course, Witt must either get his wife to choose Move or leave her and his three kids. In 1974, William Whitney Smith, a.k.a. Witt, leaves the Move organization. And not wanting to appear weak, Vincent Leapart ramps up recruiting his own sisters and their teenage children, Powelton residents, college students, local gang members, members of the former Black Panther Party, and individuals in either jail or prison. Vincent needed numbers, but he also needed specific skill sets, experience, and access. There were some white people, majority Black, and it seemed to me like they were misfits. They just screamed and yelled and very confrontational and vile things. And just hard, hard to be around. Screaming, the cursing, and then, you know, the the garbage and the smell. Moves back to nature living involves garbage and or compost from two dozen adults and children, plus the urine and feces of 60 plus dogs and a dozen cats, all concentrated in their small yard space, which of course smells and attracts maggots, mice, roaches, and rats. You see these little kids running around naked. I mean, if, if you weren't into that philosophy, you're thinking these kids are being abused. And I have to say, I don't believe that they were. I think they really loved their children. This interview was conducted more than a year before the podcast launched. So neither Joanne nor myself had been made aware of abuse allegations from individuals born and raised in MOVE. They just raised them almost like little, like like you would raise little dogs. You know, like people love their dogs, but 
I don't want to compare kids to animals, but they were allowed to be free, almost like, you know, a, a puppy could run around, a child could run around. They didn't have to wear clothes. If they, if they went to the bathroom just right there, it was okay. That was natural. That was normal. They, they felt the urge to go to the bathroom, so they would just go right there. The bad thing was nobody cleaned it up. From 1972 to 1973, Don taught psychology at the Community College of Philadelphia. In 1974, he began working for the ACT program Philadelphia as a drug addiction counselor. According to our research, MOVE was trying to become a drug rehab program using the MOVE guidelines. It would have been a moneymaker, but they were unsuccessful, unlike other alleged cults at the time, like Synanon on the West Coast and Scientology. I mean, when we broke up, he he kind of hooked up with someone. She got pregnant. We got back together, and he had told me that this woman was pregnant. She was a nurse, but he introduced her to MOVE, and she ended up joining MOVE and moving into that house and having the baby. I wanted to adopt the baby. I mean, it was Don's child, and I wanted to adopt her, and the mom Valerie would not allow that. I thought that somebody said that you introduced Dawn to Valerie. I did, but I didn't know her well. It was just from Clark Park. I used to, when I walked the dog, she had a dog. And, you know, when you have dogs and they're running around, you're standing there talking to people. As a matter of fact, when Don told me that he had gotten someone pregnant and I asked him who, he said to me that that woman from the park that you used to talk to, you know, the black woman from the park that you used to, used to talk to, that that girl Valerie. And, uh, you know, I was shocked. At that point, I really kind of was out of it then. I don't really know a whole lot about what was going on. I knew Don still used to see them from time to time, but I moved out. I had in my own place. Don moved in. Then we broke up again. It was it was off and on for five years. And sometimes Don lived with me, and sometimes he didn't. Now, to be honest, when he didn't live with me, I don't even remember where he was living, who he lived with. If he if he was at the Move House, if he had his own apartment, every once in a while I would see him with some of the Move people. I knew their names. There were. Some of them that I thought were very, very nice. I know Vince's girlfriend, she was very, very pretty, much, much younger than him. Alberta? Alberta. Alberta, yeah. There was Delbert and his wife, I forget her name, and then they had a little girl, Delicia. Delbert is Delbert Orr, a.k.a. Delbert Africa, and his move partner at the time, not legal wife, was Janet Holloway. They left their daughter Delicia in move. She died at the age of 12 on May 13, 1985, in the deadly confrontation with police. There was this other guy, and a, a white woman, I don't remember her name, they had a child. Sue? And Sue, yes, that's it, Sue, yes. Sue is Suzanne Lavino, a.k.a. Sue Africa, a.k.a. Rhea. Sue had a child in MOVE in 1975, who was called John, but also Tommaso and also Boo. She left her son in MOVE. He also died on May 13, 1985. A lot of Vince's philosophy and stuff he would talk about would be different philosophies that I'm sure he heard from the professors and the students from Palton. He took bits and pieces of different things and and put them together and made them his own. And people who weren't aware or didn't know 
thought that they were his words and his thoughts. And that's why they looked at him like he was so wise and so in touch, you know. And he really did like people or expect them to look up to him almost like he was a god. I remember that was one of my arguments with Don, saying, you look at him and you think you have to revere him like he's God. This is ridiculous. My big thing was he didn't want you to be involved with your family. He wanted you to give up all contact with everybody you had known before. And to me, that's like a cult. And that's not good. That can't be good. If you didn't do what Vin said, you were punished. And punished in a way that sometimes you were beat up and you were threatened. When MOVE was started in 1972, there were other alternative communities, new religious movements, gurus, and cults springing up and or expanding in the U.S. and all over the world. Children of God, Scientology, the Sullivanians, Heaven's Gate, the Rashnish Movement, the Source Family, the People's Temple, the Moonies, the Hare Krishnas, and Charles Manson. All of these groups said that they had the answer to society's problems. So Don would be a spokesperson for MOVE at, at certain things, and there certainly were demonstrations. I know Don would be on loudspeakers, you know, talking and saying things. As a matter of fact, we, we went to see Richie Havens at the Bijou Cafe. It was a little in town. Richie Havens was a black American singer, songwriter, guitarist. He was the opening act at Woodstock in 1969. And Don knew someone from Westfield that he had grown up with who knew Richie Havens. Somehow we got backstage. He tried to talk to Richie Havens about Move. I remember that. I was there. Richie Havens did not get involved with MOVE. Vincent tried to get other celebrities, like comedians Dick Gregory and Bill Cosby. Cosby was local to Philadelphia, and so MOVE tried to get to him through his mother. Both Gregory and Cosby never got involved with MOVE. At some point between 73 and 78, Don disappeared like for like a, a couple of months. I, I didn't know where Don was. And all of a sudden, one day, one of the people from MOVE, one of the guys comes to my apartment and he has a note for me and it was from Don and in it Don tells me that he's in jail he said something about he had been locked up and he was in jail and that he would contact me when he could Don did spend more than six weeks in Holmesburg prison on contempt of court charges for disrupting a court proceeding of another MOVE member. MOVE members did this all the time. It was an activity to disrupt and get press. And the crazy thing was my father was a prison guard and I believe Don was at the prison where my father was, but my father didn't know and somehow, well, my father didn't work on the block. My father was in the office, but you know, Don was at the prison where my father worked and my father never even knew that his son-in-law was there. Do you know how the MOVE organization financially supported themselves if they didn't have jobs? They used to sell weed. How would they have gotten weed? I know Don used to get it for them sometimes. Like how much weed are we talking about? They were buying pounds. And then selling it? Yes. 
Don was selling weed before he met Vincent. He was busted for bringing in large amounts of weed from Jamaica. This was a federal charge, which meant the FBI were aware of Don prior to move. And clearly his arrest did not scare Don off from continuing to deal drugs for move. In the spring of 1977, Joanne and Don were back together. They had bought a house and they were trying to get pregnant. They had just finished dinner when there was a knock at the door. And when I went to open the door, it was open just a crack. And all of a sudden, this gun, you know, like this rifle comes in and the whole, they push the door open and I see these cops, I mean, all these cops. And I looked and I said, is this a joke? Like, I, I, I thought it was somebody was playing a joke. And all of a sudden, I look out and across the street, you know, on the rooftops, there's all these cops. It was a nightmare. They had the house surrounded and it was really scary. The feds and the cops and they took Don away and they searched the house. They found crawl spaces and spots in that house that I didn't even know existed. They were there hours and hours and hours and went through everything. They were looking for guns. They had said that Don had bought guns for the move people. And I didn't know that he had, but he did. The ATF raid on Don and Joanne's house happened around the same time as what is known in the MOVE historical timeline as Guns on the Porch. May 20th, 1977. MOVE members in matching khaki coveralls, combat boots, and berets came out onto the platform that surrounded MOVE headquarters with rifles. In all the public reporting about May 20th, 1977, there is no sign of either Donald Glassy or John Africa on that platform. Don told me afterwards that the reason he got the guns for them, he had bought guns, was because they had threatened me. They had told Don that they were going to hurt me or kill me or whatever if he didn't do what they wanted him to do. So he did it to protect me. Did they find guns in your house? No. There are no guns because Vincent had ordered his followers to move them somewhere else. But Don purchased two rifles using a fake ID created by MOVE member Phil Africa. They took Don away and then I called a friend who got a lawyer. They kept Don overnight. He got out and decided he was going to cooperate. Don tells the authorities that MOVE leader Vincent Leapart is John Africa and that John Africa has gotten violent. He's ordered the beatings of his own followers, with one of them named Ted Williamson, a.k.a. Bebop Africa, then escaping the cult, only to end up dead, killed by 30,000 volts of electricity. Don tells authorities that Vincent wants his brainwashed followers to carry out a violent armed revolution, not just against the Philadelphia police, but against the U.S. government and the entire system, meaning anyone who is not Vincent Leapart. Vincent doesn't just have guns. Vincent has bombs. But Don doesn't know where Vincent is storing them. So a plan is hatched for Don Glassy to go back into MOVE as if he is still a devoted follower. But in fact, he's acting as an informant. On July 21st, 1977, Don leads the authorities to a Philadelphia home owned by the sister of MOVE member Alfonso Robbins, a.k.a. Mo Africa. As soon as the garage door is opened, authorities move in, putting handcuffs on Don and Wit. 
William Whitney Smith, Don's very good friend he had recruited into MOVE, then Whit left MOVE, and had just recently been pulled back into Vincent's web when Don implores him to reveal the location of the bombs and guns so that they can get them away from Vincent. Witt had no idea Don was working with the ATF and police. Agents and police find 15 pounds of black powder, three foot long glass pipe bombs, seven time bombs, flash cubes, books on how to build bombs, nine high-powered rifles with scopes, and a hundred rounds of ammunition. The neighborhood is evacuated. Don and Witt are arrested. Witt pleads guilty to transporting explosives and joins Don as witnesses for the prosecution. The feds wanted us to go into witness protection. You know, you get a new identity, a new name. Just the thought of, like, I'm never going to be able to see my parents again or my sister or, you know, my niece and nephew. I said, no, I'm sorry, I, you know, I won't do that. I'm not going to, you know, live my life looking over my shoulder like somebody's, you know, out to get me or hurt me. I'm not doing that. So I refused. I wouldn't do it. And what about Don? He thought about it. He, He didn't do it. Witt also rejects the witness protection offer because he just wants to return to his wife, three kids, and his city sanitation job. Vincent Leapart, John Africa, and other MOVE members were indicted on the following federal charges. Conspiracy to manufacture and possess destructive devices. Bombs. Vincent Leapart, Alfonso Robbins, and other MOVE members go on the run. But in addition to Glassy and William Whitney Smith, the feds also arrest three other MOVE members, two of whom are charged and put on trial. Glassy and Smith both testify for the prosecution, resulting in convictions. Wanted posters go out listing Vincent Leapart as armed and dangerous. After testifying publicly, Don and Witt are now fully out of move. And so one night, as Joanne and Don are sitting on their front porch after dinner, she asks him, Now that you know everything that you know, if you had to do it over again, would you do it? And he said, yes. And that floored me. It was like, what have you learned? Nothing? At that moment, a switch went off in my head, and I just thought, I can't be with this man anymore. I decided we were getting divorced. Vincent's strategy was always to keep escalating tensions with neighbors, police, the courts, confront the system. And that is what Vincent ordered 12 of his loyal disciples to do on August 8th, 1978. And he ordered them to have 11 children with them in that house. Vincent had set up his young followers to go to war with Philly's top cop, who became Mayor Frank Rizzo. The police will be in there to drag them out by the backs of their necks. They're going to be taken by force if they resist. No question about that. Children or not. Where was Vincent that day? He was coordinating from a safe, unknown location, watching it all unfold on television. Police vans, an armored personnel carrier, and special stakeout squads equipped with flak jackets, automatic weapons, tear gas, and thousands of rounds of ammunition. Eight police and firemen are shot. Officer James Ramp dies. Move member Delbert Orr is brutally beaten by police while surrendering with the other 11 adult move members and 11 children. From afar and in hiding from the ATF for the bomb plot, Vincent Leapart, the mastermind, has seen his revolution realized with all the headlines and evening news reports he always wanted. And the press keeps coming as nine of his loyal followers go on trial for murder and two other move members go on trial for the bomb plot 
with former MOVE members, now traders, Don Glassy and Whit Smith testifying against them, resulting in their convictions. 18 months later, the former Joanne Glassy gets a phone call from her friend Vicky, Whit's wife. Hysterical, hysterical on the phone. And Don and I had already broken up, and she called me because she, she wanted to, she didn't know how to get in touch with Don, and she was just beside herself crying hysterical on the phone to me that they killed him. Three weeks after disappearing, Witt's body is found floating on the edge of the Schuylkill River. Vicky said she felt that Move had killed him. Now, I don't know if she meant that they made it look like a suicide or that I don't know if that's true. I guess he felt like he couldn't get out. If he did commit suicide, it was almost like he felt like he didn't have any way out other than to take his life. Witt's wife, Vicky, is now a widow. Their three children are fatherless. And it is another 18 months until Vincent Leapart is apprehended by authorities and put on trial for the bomb plot. But without being able to use Witt's under oath testimony from the first trial, the jury only hears from Donald Glassy. Their verdict is not guilty. Vincent walks free. And Donald Glassy continues to look over his shoulder. He realized afterwards that he had been used. He just kind of got mixed up in with the wrong people. I mean, that sounds like a, a lame excuse, especially he wasn't a kid. I mean, he was 25, 26 years old. But he was just very confused and down in the dumps and searching for something to believe in, kind of like he would be somewhat of a savior too, that he could help people and build something that would work. And and then it just got out of hand. Move got more than out of hand after Donald Glassy defects. And I remember coming home and the sky was like lit up. And I I was thinking, what the hell? And I remember walking in my apartment and turning the TV on. And that's when I saw... May 13th, 1985. And it was, oh my God. I really was shocked at first because I didn't know that there was still this move organization or it had developed into something that big. The whole thing was crazy. And I know that they really listened to Vince. He was their leader. I, I can't imagine that any sane person would allow his people, you know, these, these people that are supposed to be your followers to do that kind of stuff. But that's that's why I think it was like a cult, because they did whatever, even though it could mean death to them, they were willing to do it. 11 victims on May 13th, 1985. Five adult MOVE members and five children whose imprisoned MOVE member parents had given them to Vincent Leapart. For five months, the remains of victim number 11 are simply referred to as body F because the remains are missing the head and both arms, which means that dental records and fingerprints cannot help determine the identity, which has been alleged to be that of Vincent Leapart. If you consider that Vincent Leapart was last seen publicly in July 1981, never spotted on Osage Avenue, and never participated in the MOVE police confrontations he strategized, then there is reason to question if Body F is, in fact, Vincent Leapart. I asked Joanne if she thought MOVE would have happened if her ex-husband Donald Glassy had not met Vincent Leapart. I don't think it would have existed to the degree that it, it got to. He may have found somebody who would have written down possibly things, but 
Don, like I said, Don, when he believed in something, he it consumed him. It was 110%. I don't know anybody else would have done that and validated Vince like Don did. After divorcing, Joanne and Don remained close friends. I never regretted marrying Don because had I not married him, we would not have developed a friendship. That every year after that, when Don was still in the area, on our anniversary, we would go out to dinner. And I was already involved with someone else and was living with someone and he was married. And yet on our anniversary, we would go out to dinner to celebrate, which is very crazy. I mean, most people don't understand that, but Don was very easy to talk to. Joanne said they had a friendship where they could talk about anything except move. I couldn't even bring up move. I don't want to talk about that. That's the past. Don did talk about move with his third and most recent wife. Don was more sad about the whole thing than angry. He told me it just felt more like it was a tragedy and that he was very, very sorry that he ever met Vince in the first place and embarrassed that he even let it go as far as it did. And while there was Whit, you know, Whitney Smith, he was the one that helped dig up the guns. And when Don told me about him, he cried because Don felt so, so bad about him. She says that Don didn't dwell on move, but that in his final weeks of life, while heavily medicated for pain, that memories were surfacing. He wasn't able to speak in complete sentences. And one time he said something about, there's guns there. And I said, guns? Where? Where are the guns? And he said, they're, they're in the, the library. And I said, why? What are the guns doing there? And he couldn't answer me. So it could have been some memory of some fearful thing that happened. In 2019, Donald Glassy dies at the age of 73. This guy saw me holding a record that was a Jamaican record. Coming up on Murder at Ryan's Run. And it had people on it with dreadlocks. And he wanted to sit down and talk about that. And we talked about it, and I showed him the pictures and stuff. And he had never seen dreadlocks before. He had sort of unruly hair, but he didn't have dreadlocks. This guy was named Vince Leapart. If you or anyone you know has information about the 1977 electrocution death of former MOVE member Ted Williamson, the 1979 drowning death of former MOVE member William Whitney Smith, or the 2002 shooting death of former MOVE member John Gilbride, please reach out to the podcast either by email, run at gmail.com, or message us on social media. We are Murder at Ryan's Run on everything, Instagram, Facebook, or threads. Be sure to follow us on social media for bonus content. And if you have comments, questions, or information, please reach out because we love hearing from you. This episode was reported, written, hosted, and edited by me, Beth McNamara. Archival research from producer Robert Helms. Thanks for listening. The producers wish to stress that all individuals referenced in this podcast series are presumed innocent unless or until they are proven guilty beyond a reasonable doubt in a court of law in the United States of America.